The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guest Sting. Uh, if I'm honest, we, we are still recovering from the live and location show. <laughs> Yeah, the Ed the Sock after party was awesome. We'll recap the event, how much we raised to get to CES 2020, and we'll figure out how to whore Alan out for big bucks. We're just negotiating the price. Plus, we'll replay the post-show Q&A and tell you what's hiding under my audio console. It's a lie. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. All right, I'm here. Have you recovered from uh, the big uh, Ed the Sock after party? Uh, yeah. The, 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 you know who? Uh, I took the dog to the dog park yesterday on Saturday. And everybody looked at the dog and says, why is your dog hung over? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got home about 11 o'clock on uh, Friday night. Uh, she slept. No, I got her up for breakfast on Saturday morning. She slept all day until we went to the dog park. And then she slept at the dog park. I got her up for breakfast today which she didn't really do much except lie around, and then uh, slept at the dog park this afternoon. So my uh, the schmooze is going to be very, very, very tired tomorrow. So our live at uh, Black Lab Brewing worked out well because it was a dog-friendly bar slash brewery. Mm-hmm. And lots of dogs came out, which was cool. Yeah, my, my daughter came out as well, which was unexpected. Uh, and I had to decide, you know, we're not going to change the content with Ed the Sock coming on just because I've got my 13-year-old in the crowd. Yeah, it was uh, a bit uh, awkward at points. But she uh, she loves dogs, and because I'm deathly allergic to them, you know, it's it's a big point in our family about how much she wants a dog. She wants a uh, golden lab. Ooh, that's really hairy. What you need, you, is need a dog that doesn't shed much, and there are there are hypoallergenic dogs. Anyway, we go over this all the time. There's no such thing, and yes, I'll tell you is. why. Well, we well, the reason why is because it's not the hair or the fur that one is allergic to. It's the fact that dogs and cats and almost every animal licks themselves, and then the saliva dries, flakes off, and gets into the air. Oh, so you're so, you're allergic to dog saliva? That's what everyone who's allergic to a dog no, is no, actually dog allergic dander. to. Dog dander is... That's is, what dander is. No, no, dog dander is... It's is, a combination is, of skin and saliva. Well, yeah, but dander also comes off the, the, the backs and other parts of the body as well. No, you're absolutely right. But it's a combination of the licking uh, and just the, the skin jetting that gets into the air. All right, fine, whatever. So um, she was in heaven with all the dogs to pet, such that when I put her to bed, I ended up being allergic to her kissing her goodnight. <laughs> you were uh, a little loopy on Benadryl. I was hepped up on the goofballs in a very big way. So how did you feel about the big show? I thought it was it was fine. There was, listen, 
I, I'll, I'll say this out loud. Uh, it was overkill in terms of all kinds of the gear and the crew. That, I mean, what was our crew? We had seven people in the crew. In the Q&A, somebody asked me how much the gear was behind me. I said, about three grand worth. Yeah, and then 1,000 of that was for a camera that didn't work. It, it ended up working. We ended up using it, but at the beginning, uh, it, it failed on us. We had a we had gone and done a, a big tech rehearsal on the Tuesday before the big Friday night show. Everything went great. Took us about an hour, so I figured, let's double that just in case. <laughs> and we should have tripled it because we were running late, and then the first uh, segment wasn't even heard on the internet uh, because of a technical glitch. And so the lesson learned there was don't let software nerds write digital mixing consoles get a physical real world mixing console route all the microphones into it route the computer into it that plays back the audio and then mix minus it which is something that audio geeks would know so that the floor can hear it and the internet can hear everything crystal clear and our uh, ace live stream voice of god tim langton your jay's stadium announcer has offered to be responsible for the audio next year in considering that's his day job why not? I think so. We have been using off-the-shelf products with... Uh, volunteers, I think we would call them. Volunteers is the word that I'm looking for, and I am very grateful for the support that they gave us on Friday night. Uh, and I'm so glad, and I'll say this again out loud, um, I'm glad you like doing all this because I don't give a shit. I mean, I just... I just <laughs> the, all the gadgetry, all the video stuff, all the back end, I have no interest in. And I am so glad that you were the one that is willing to take on this burden. I tweeted a photo of the trunk of my SUV loaded to the gills with gear uh, and then uh, tagged Brittle Star, who does his uh, morning show on Monday mornings at 9 and Friday mornings at 9 using literally an iPhone. Mm -hmm. And I said, geez, may maybe we should have just done the live show with an iPhone. And it almost got to that point it, with the technical yes. glitches. Yes, it, uh, it, it, it did. But... Okay, we got through it. Um, it, was, it was production overkill with all the openings and closings and interstitials. Uh, but um, anybody who experienced it would have experienced the, uh, the full Monty. And it amazed me that anyone experienced it at all. We had a big turnout. We did. Um, what do you figure, 30, 35 people? I would have said 50. Okay, we'll go with 50. Yeah, and we raised a total of $1,200. Which is insane. Yeah. Uh, and again, we're... Okay, listen. Here, here's... Uh, we appreciate all the support that you're giving us. And I, I feel that... You're feeling a little dirty, aren't you? Well, I feel a little bit dirty, and here, here's why. Is that, you know, both of us are gainfully employed in our own little ways. You know, why should we ask people for money? Well, the answer is that we... This... Covering CES is beyond our abilities financially. It, it just is. And uh, if you think, and this is totally volunteering up to you, if you think that we provide with this program some kind of value and entertainment and information to you that is that you can put a dollar value on so that we may continue to do this and increase the amount of coverage, the amount of entertainment, the amount of value that we provide back, this is the only way to do it. If you go to geeksandbeats.com and click the support the show link and go to the GoFundMe campaign, if you donate a hundred bucks or more, our patron in residence, Victor Biggio, will send you a Geeks and Beats Miracle Travel Mug of Traveling. And we still have one more left to give away. So we, oh, okay, good. 
And then on top of that, he says, if anybody does it above and beyond the five he already uh, allocated, he'll just keep sending them off to people. Well, I'm glad you got to meet Victor because I, I still yet to run into him. Yeah, it was really neat. Uh, and what we, you, the big question we had about this guy who uh, created the hashtag GNB Mug Tour 2014 way back when, where he was taking pictures with his mug everywhere he went, we're like, what the hell does this guy do for a living? And he's in the online gambling business. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that he didn't say he was in the online gaming business. Yeah. I hate it when we play with words like that. It's gambling. Let's just accept it and move on. And you notice that we don't take any advertising um, on the site or in the podcast, um, unless it's a corporate sponsorship, which we have control over. Uh, and one of the things that, that I get, I'm sure uh, Geeks and Beats gets too, is all these uh, you know, backlink, do-follow um, offers from, from gambling sites. Right. And we turn them all down. No, we turn them all down. You know, I, I have to say I was a little disappointed in myself in the Ed the Sock segment. Why is that? Well, there were a few moments when he would say something and then there would be this big, long pause where, you know, it, it seemed like I didn't know what to say. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, it, no, it, hang on. I was the, the, the observer there. And remember the rule. One second in radio time is seven seconds in real people time. So the, the no, it's like dog years. So you're saying dead air for six for one second feels more like seven seconds. Yeah. Well, you know, so with that in mind, usually we try to just fill the void with anything. And the, the issue was, was that it wasn't that I didn't have something to say in response to whatever it was he would say that would lead to silence. It was that I held myself back from saying what I wanted to say because I. And, and I'm sure it's the same for you. I spent my entire broadcast career in an industry that's scared to death of offending a single person. And therefore, even though I've got a thought and I want to blurt it out, there's that part of me that says, oh, hang on. Someone might be upset that you have that thought. And I still haven't deprogrammed myself from that. And I think the secret to success is being willing to put yourself out there, knowing that you are going to risk offending someone because no one is successful without the risk of doing so. Yeah, snap out of it. Here's another thing that really surprised me. I have been calling my lovely and talented wife, Ann Deuce, wifey mm. on the podcast. Mm-hmm since its inception mm -hmm. and it wasn't until that night the live show where you asked her if she was upset by that that i found out that she doesn't like it <laughs> i had See, no idea i am a marriage counselor as well as a broadcaster either that or you're splitting us up here it was i was always mortified that this entire time she never said anything about it she calls me hubby i call her wifey it's a term of endearment but apparently she doesn't like it yeah, you know you gotta ask there's a, there's a couple things that I can't, a couple terms of endearment that I can't use. Oh, such as? No, I'm, I'm not even going to go there right now. Uh, 29 years and still counting, so let's just leave them alone. So we raised, as I said, 1200 of our $10,000 goal. So clearly, as much as we get the support from the listeners, this is not what's going to get us to CES. We need 
actual corporate sponsorships to get yes. down there. And when I was speaking with Victor Biggio about this, because this is kind of his life, this is his world, uh, he was suggesting a few things. One of them, that we set aside a day dedicated exclusively to business development, where we talk to these companies about getting them to be regular sponsors on the show. And it's not necessarily like a, a live read, hey, go down to Bill's bank type stuff. Uh, it would be more along the lines of... Um, creating content for them. So what do you think of this idea? Say we get a, a Samsung or some other major electronics company. We would go down there not only for Geeks and Beats, but also produce a podcast or two or three for the sponsor that would end up in the rotation for the show here. Well, that is called uh, branded content. And yes, we could do that. And I think that so long as the content itself, branded or otherwise, is still of value and interest to a listener, that it's okay that somebody said, hey, we'll hire you, we'll pay you, bring you down to CES, you talk about our TVs, and then we do a show about, you know, the new high-definition Yeah, we'll be upfront TVs. about it. Yeah, and I think that there's still valuable information that can be imparted while at the same time putting enough cash in our pockets to actually get us down to the show. Yeah, no, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, we do, you know, in radio, we do branded content all the time, and it's, it's, it's just another way of saying a sponsorship. The other uh, suggestion was that we whore you out. Me? You. Oh. Specifically, the Q&A that we did at the end of the live show, mm -hmm. that was very interesting stuff, and we could have gone on all night. The only reason why we didn't was because, you know, you had to get back to the house. Right. So, you know, we shut it down after I think it was, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. But um, if you are whored out by Geeks and Beats as the music historian authority figure, whether it be at a CES or at any other corporate type event. Corporations are having events all the time. They need speakers for these events. You do them, right? I do them, yes. So maybe what we need to do is whore you out for the music side and whore me out for the futurism side. Sure. See what you can do. All right. In the meantime, like I said, I think the, the live on location show went really well. The audience seemed very interested in it. It was standing room only. People were literally standing to watch as opposed to just hanging out. Uh, and my favorite thing was the guy with the, with the the resting murder face who stared at you the entire time. <laughs> you weren't felt uncomfortable. No, I'm fine. Listen, I've seen, listen, when I go do these things, I get weirdos. We had no weirdos on Friday. I get real weirdos. There's schmooze. That was schmooze. We, we talked about that in the Q&A, that, yeah. that Schmooze uh, is underneath the console, snoring away while we record the show, and the only thing that saves the listener from hearing it is that I put a noise gate on your microphone. Yeah, yeah she's, uh, we just got back from the dog park, so she's a little, she's still squawked out from Friday. Wow. You know, as you hit a certain age and you go from having three-hour morning hangovers to having one-day hangovers to having 48-hour hangovers, maybe, maybe she's hit that age. Uh, she is 11, so maybe, yes. Wow. So, yeah, so Liv, uh, who's an absolute dog lover who can't have a dog because dad is allergic to them, uh, took one look at Schmooze and went, um, that's not a dog. What, what, what is it? I, I don't think she's ever seen oh, a, bull a Boston a bull terrier. An English bull terrier? No. An English bull terrier with a big, long snoot like that yeah. before. No, they're, uh, they're odd-looking animals. Um, yeah, they're very strange, but uh, they're, they're hugely adorable. She's hooked on a uh, dog video series on YouTube called Tucker Budson. Mm -hmm. 
and it's basically this woman does and you'll hate it because it's vertical video Uh, shoots vertical video of her dog just doing stuff and it's got a million followers and it's got sponsors and the whole nine yards maybe we need to to actually have the dog on the podcast we get get horror horror of the dog (laughs) what a great idea i know So I thought the thing went really well, and, and and I hope that you did too. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I thought it was was great, uh, but I am glad that we only do this once a year because man, we we were already getting requests, my friend, to uh. do it uh, in in the fall as well, and maybe we we do that idea that uh, was suggested, which is a silent auction oh, yeah. of going through crap in your under in your crawl space. Yeah, I do have a lot of crawl space, a lot. Okay, so if you did, in fact, watch the live show, you know how much of a dumpster fire it was off the top because we had that technical glitch with the audio. So the only thing we really managed to salvage from the live show is the Q&A, which went really, really well, I thought. Put your hands up if you've got a, a question you want to ask Alan about anything, anything so long as it doesn't have anything to do with his kidneys. <laughs> I would, All right. I would talk about my kidneys for as long as people wish to talk about them. All right, and we're going to take this, we're going to point it at Mike. Oh, good. What do you actually think about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds? <clears throat> Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds came out of the birthday party out of Australia. Uh, haven't sold a tremendous amount of records, but uh, they are one of the foundational bands for the entire goth scene that has spread to every single corner of the globe. Uh, Nick Cave is also uh, very much an author and a screenwriter and in some cases an actor. Um, He does tend to fly away from the mainstream, but uh, I've met Nick on a couple of occasions and believe me, he is considered to be a highly important, highly influential, um, very well-regarded artist of many different traits. He was actually going to write, I think, the sequel to Gladiator, but his script was uh, was rejected. Right down at the end, there we got Jasper. Hi. Uh, actually, fun fact, uh, Julie, my wife, in, since January, uh, our opening dance was to Into My Arms of Nick Cave. See, there you uh, go. There you go. Um, I have a question for both of you, if you are open to it. Uh, Michael, beyond all those sex dolls you were talking about, what is the technology you're most excited to learn about at CES? And uh, Alan, uh, personal question, who do you think had more impact on today's or modern rock music, uh, Steppenwolf or Rush? All right. You ready to think about that? You think about that. Uh, The technology that I'm most interested in uh, learning about at CES has not just to do with the uh, autonomous vehicle technology, but fifth generation wireless. Uh, We don't really generally understand how big of a deal this is going to be. By example, your smartphone... And I like to use this as an example. It'll take four and a half minutes to download a a high-definition movie on your current LTE fourth-generation wireless. That drops to 1.2 seconds under 5G. So not only are we getting incredibly fast wireless speeds, but the latency, the length of time it takes to go from point A to point B and then back to point A again, goes from 100 milliseconds down to 2 milliseconds. And what that means is we're going to get real-time video, not like we're doing here tonight where it's delayed by a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds or what have you, but it's going to be real-time. And then the third element of of, uh, 5G that's really interesting to me is that it's really low power as well. 
So we're going to be building sensors that have batteries where the batteries will outlive the usefulness of the sensor because it doesn't need that much to get the information up to where it needs to go. So we're going to see this massive explosion of new technologies that come out of this that we can't even begin to comprehend. But when it comes back to the autonomous car, we already know that they're incapable of doing everything that we need already and the driver's responsible for taking over when it fails. At some point in the not-too-distant future, when your level 4 or level 5 self-driving car, level 5 being the one that doesn't even have a steering wheel, when it doesn't know what to do, it's not going to ask you to deal with it. It's going to send, an, it's going to reroute the cameras on that uh, car to a guy in a bunker. Kind of like how the U.S. military has drone operators right now. It's going to be like that for the self-driving car. So when your car doesn't know what to do, you don't have to deal with it. Somebody somewhere is going to deal with it because the speed of 5G is so fast and the latency is so low that it will literally feel like real time to the person doing the driving for you. Now, what do you have to say? Uh, I'm interested in 5G, too. I'm a little bit scared about it because of the radiation that's apparently going to be given off by all the units and the cost that's going to be associated with implementing it. Unlike 4G and 3G and everything that came before, you could have very long distances between the cell tower and the receiver. Uh, in this particular case, 5G is going to have to be somewhere between 100 and 200 feet. Now, they, they, they're going to be very, very small units, uh, but once they get deployed, it will be very cool. And like Michael says, we have no idea the technologies that are going to spawn from this. This is kind of like 1995 or 1996 all over again when we had the original Internet. We had no idea. We thought they were for bulletin boards and porn. But it turned out to be so much more. If you consider what would happen if the Internet went down today, the planet would be paralyzed because of all the technologies that have come out in just the last 25 years. Yeah, there's, there's that line from the TV show Scrubs, is it? Where they say that if they took the, inter the porn off the internet, there would only be one website left, and it would be a website called Bring Back the Porn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as for uh, Steppenwolf versus Rush, uh, Steppenwolf was important. Again, they're from two different eras, and they were aimed at two different types of, of music audiences. Sort of the, the, the proto-heavy metal audience, and the Easy Rider audience, because again, this song was uh, actually in the movie Easy Rider, and it does contain the phrase, I like smoke and lightning, heavy metal thunder. Talking basically about motorcycles, but this Canadian band, uh, John Kay, who is actually from Toronto, uh, is credited with, with giving the world the term heavy metal. So that's important, there goes the dog. Um, when it comes to Rush, uh, I can't even begin to list all the bands from the Foo Fighters on down who have said that they got into music because of Rush. So um, I think we're talking about two different types of, 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 of influence, but uh, if he had to pick one over the other, I would go with Rush. All right. Do you have another question? Um, so mine's kind of a two-part question with pop and legal stuff. So I think you tweeted about Katy Perry and like just the... What's that going to look like, the future music of people coming after big people saying, you stole part of my original song? Okay, here's here's what's going on right now. And I okay, said this. It's a two-part question. Oh, the second part was about Kay, um, Taylor Swift wanting to own her masters. Okay. Like what that means to okay. have power over your Let's start, start with Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift yeah. is a big crybaby. Um, and she's always playing the victim. She's worth $400, $500 million. She's 29 years old. She's a grown-up woman. She should know better than to play the victim all the time. What happened was... She, when you record, when you sign a recording deal, 
you end up signing the rights to your master tapes. And the master tapes are the final and ultimate product of recording sessions. They are the album or the singles that you have recorded. And every copy of every digital file in physical format is made from the master tapes. Usually, almost 99% of the time, what happens is the art of the, the record label takes ownership of the masters as part of the contract. That's because the record label needs to be able to duplicate, market, and distribute the music. And the only way that they can do that is if they own the masters. That's what a record label does. They distribute, market, and duplicate masters. So Taylor Swift, uh, through her career, did not own the masters. They went to a company called Big Machine, which was the label that made her what, what she is. Um, so Big Machine was run by a guy named Scott Borchetta. Uh, Scott was her manager and uh, guided her through her, her entire career. He made no secret that he wanted to sell the company. And uh, everybody knew that Big Machine was for sale, including this guy who was on the board of directors who just happened to be Taylor Swift's dad. So finally what happens is that Big Machine gets sold to uh, a company called uh, Ithaca Investments, which is run by a guy named Scooter Braun. Scooter Braun is, is the manager for um, uh, Justin Bieber. And Taylor Swift says, I didn't know this was happening. I never got a chance to buy my masters. Did she talk to her dad? Which is, yeah, well, yeah, she didn't talk to her dad. And it's full of shit because in August of, 19, uh, of 2018, she was in negotiations with Big Machine because her contract was coming to an end. And as part of the negotiation of the contract, they said, well, we will give you, we will allow you to acquire in pieces your master tapes. And she said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to sign with Republic Records. So she did last November. So now we hear this whole thing about Scooter Braun was mean to me on Spotify and on, or was mean to me on Instagram and Facebook. And I don't want him owning my, my master tapes. She sounds just like that. Too. She does. <laughs> So what happened, so he ends up holding the master tapes against her wishes. Too bad. This was the nature of the business deal. You had an opportunity to buy it, and your dad was on the board of the directors who signed off on the sale. What about Katy Perry? Uh, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. Really? I'm not done. Is it normal for an artist yes. to own their masters? Sorry? What, like, are, is it normal for artists to own their masters? No, it's not. No? Okay. It's very rare unless you're a level of U2 or the Beatles, or somebody who is, has achieved something that will allow you to uh, sign a deal, uh, negotiate a deal, or write a check to bring that stuff back. Queen owns their masters, a few others do. Um, so, so now she's all upset that Scooter Braun owns her master tapes. What is completely lost in this is that Taylor Swift owns the publishing to her music, which is way more important than owning the masters. Publishing means you own the music. You physically own the music that's on these tapes. I'm not done yet. Um, so Scooter Braun can't do anything with those master tapes without her complete 100% permission. It's just a whole bunch of crap. Aren't you glad you asked? She's again playing the victim, and I have absolutely no... Sure she can. 
But see, some some contracts actually have what. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There can be all kinds of stuff that goes on, but but there there is something. Uh, th these are called standalike recordings, and it's happened before. Uh, when Prince, for example, was having his fight with Warner Brother Records, uh, he ended up re-recording a bunch of his old songs and using them. When uh, Def Leppard got into a fight with uh, their record label and their publishing company, if you went on iTunes, you would hear nothing but re-recordings and not the original versions of like put pull, uh, pour some sugar on me. So it's been done, but and now a lot of recording contracts have no sound-alike clauses in. You can't go back and do this end run around everybody. I don't know if Taylor Swift has that in hers. Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't. doesn't matter. I don't care. Taylor Swift can go fuck off. That's all I care about. So, so no two-part questions anymore. Okay. Part, okay, Katy Perry, uh, what, I have a friend who works with, uh, she actually covers all the plagiarism trials at the L.A. County Courthouse. And uh, when we had the um, blurred lines... Uh, got to give it up, trial. I said to her, this is a bad idea because from now on what's going to happen is you're going to have ambulance chasing lawyers who are going to go after artists with songs that feel like another song. And I've turned out to be 100% right. So everybody's coming out of the woodwork now saying, hey, I wrote this song in 2002 and it sounds just like this hit song that came out in 2014. How do you put the genie back in the ball? Well, this is the problem, because the problem has, when they've done these trials, everybody who is selected for the jury has been, anybody who has music theory, knowledge, or is a musician, has been blown out by the prosecution. So you have Decisions are being made by people who don't know what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. So what we have is, well, the prosecution will bring in a, in, a, in a music expert, a musicologist, and they will say, well, here's, they'll baffle them with bullshit. And they'll listen to the recordings uh, at home because, again, when you do a plagiarism trial, you're supposed to look at what's called the best available copy, which is the sheet music that is deposited with the copyright board. Mm -hmm. You can't listen to a song in open trial and say, hey, that song sounds like that. That doesn't work. You look at the actual notes on the paper. This is the same problem with the, uh, the, the Led Zeppelin Stairway to Heaven trial, and it's what we saw with the Katy Perry trial, which is stupid because it's based on four notes. So this, this gospel rapper believes that he owns those four notes played in that particular order forever until the heat death of the universe. And it's not even the same notes. It's just four notes played in the same manner. And then there's another guy who came out of the woodwork last week who is threatening to sue Lady Gaga over Shallow, the Academy Award-winning song, over three notes. And the three notes are, if you think back to Kansas, Dust in the Wind, when he goes, close my eyes, those are the three notes. So he has those three notes in his song that no one's ever heard of, which just happened to be in Shallow, and he's saying, you ripped me off. So again, all this is, this is terrible. It shows how copyright law in the United States is broken, and because of the United States' clout, what's happening is that it's having worldwide implications, and now you have all these people, Ed Sheeran, Sam Smith, um, and, and a ton of others, all being sued by people coming out of the woodwork because they got a lawyer who says, you know what, we can we can threaten them with a lawsuit and they'll just pay us to go away. It's, it's disgusting. Any Done. Other, any other questions? Chris has got a couple of microphones there. We've got a couple of moments left before uh, things are up. We've got one right up at the front. How much money in... There's probably about $3,000 worth of toys back here. Not including Sean. <laughs> Sean is priceless. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the, the, the big, I think, expense was this gadget right here. This is a, a Mevo camera, and what makes this one unique, 
um, is that it doesn't work all the time, and you spend 20 minutes over your airtime trying to get it up and running. Um, but when it does work, what the neat thing about it is, is that it's a fisheye camera. And if you've ever taken a fisheye photograph, you know that there's this thing called barrel distortion, where it gets all warped, because it looks like it's coming through the eye of a fish. And what the internals do on this camera is it takes away that barrel distortion and creates a massive 4K image. But what that does is that gives Sean the ability, and John can actually point the camera at the Mevo itself to show you what that means. Uh, well, not the Mevo, but the, the, the Mevo gear. Uh, and so as Sean sees the two cameras, he can punch one of us in or both of us in, and it will actually, you can sort of see it up here in the corner with the, the feedback there, that it will allow you to have essentially a three camera shoot using one camera. So instead of having three cameras laid out here and all throughout, all Sean has to do is when one of the talking heads starts flapping the lips, he just taps at the lips and it will move directly to that. Uh, and that's about a thousand dollars. So that's, that wasn't a cheap toy to get by any stretch. But now that I've got this new life. Wait, wait. Did did we pay for that? No, no, I paid oh, for that. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't have to worry about that. And yeah. and with the twelve hundred bucks, you know, oh, here comes schmooze. So this is what you, the people who the sixteen people who are watching at home haven't known is that throughout the entire show, schmooze has been doing her thing the entire time. Hi, schmooze. <laughs> now, now if we can get close, this, this, this is what I hear that you don't hear. The entire time we're recording the podcast, this is what we're hearing underneath. And I've had to, through a, a software program called Pro Tools, um, come up with a, what is called a noise gate, such that when the audio drops below a certain level, it just cuts it right off. Otherwise, you on the, would be hearing this the entire time. Okay, now, now I can't hold the mic because I'm allergic to the mic. Yeah. Uh, when we do the podcast, we record the podcast on Thursday, on Sunday nights, uh, and she insists on uh, coming into the studio and lies into the console and either breathes or snores. So that's why we need the noise gate and Pro Tools. <laughs> and that, that was actually... <laughs> <laughs> yes, dear, we're going home soon, trust me. Yeah. Anybody else want to uh, throw a question at Alan or me? With like your opinion on access versus awesome technology to content out there. I'm gonna use Amazon Fire Stick as an example. Just bought it, fantastic. It's set up way too easy and had way too much access to content really quickly for such a cheap price. Yes. Why is that a problem? What are they analyzing with a microphone built into Oh, the remote. Um, I listen. There's so much data that's being sucked down on a daily basis. I'll give you a good one. Uh, do you have a? You got a Google Home, right? I no, I've got the Alexa. Alexa. Okay, if you have Alexa uh, tomorrow morning, say "Good morning, Google," and watch what happens. Alexa. To to Google. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, if if you call Alexa Siri, she'll actually respond saying, "I don't know who you're talking about." Really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but you've got an interesting point. We, there was a time back in like the 1970s where there was this fear that telephones were being hijacked by the government to eavesdrop on us. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward to the present day and we're deliberately putting these eavesdropping microphones in our homes. Uh, almost every room in my house has one. So I've had to make that decision. Um, how likely is it something's going to happen bad to me? 
So on an individual basis, nothing. And that unfortunately is where the logic fails. Because if we put these um, eavesdropping microphones into our homes and say, well, you know, who cares about me? Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares about you individually. Um, but uh, as part of this this new life I'm living here outside of mainstream media, I'm working on a, a new video series behind the scenes called What's the Worst That Could Happen? Uh, and so let me run down for you the worst case scenario for all of these microphones in our homes. Um, because we often look at technology individually. We, don't, we look at it in a vacuum. We don't look at it in relation to other technologies coming together as well. So by example, um, someone hacks into the Amazon Alexa system and it's pulling down all of the audio from everybody's Alexa. Not mine, not yours, but everybody's. Now, nobody can sit through all that audio to find out what's valuable. No one's going to do that. No one has to do that, though. That's where a different technology comes into place, uh, where it's speech to text. So the hacker has pulled in all of the audio and converted it into text. And they've taken that in, all of that text and they've put it into a machine learning algorithm, an artificial intelligence system that is designed to look for specific things. So as uh, my wife and I are having a conversation and we're dishing about the next door neighbor, this system is going to recognize that we're having that conversation about somebody next door. And the artificial intelligence side of it is going to figure out who that is and they're going to send us a notification. Um, hey, we notice you've been saying these really nasty things about your next door neighbor. Unless you send me 300 Bitcoin, we're going to tell your neighbor exactly what you said. It doesn't have to be, I want to kill my girlfriend. It doesn't have to be, I want to rip off my company. It can be something as simple as impacting your personal life in a way that you do not want that can lead to that kind of scenario. So when we put these microphones in our homes, we have to ask ourselves, how likely is it that's going to happen? In the long run, it's inevitable. But how likely is it going to happen to us? So we just have to think about what we're saying in front of these microphones. Yeah, I have uh, on the kitchen counter, I have a Google Home Max. I have an Alexa. In the bedroom, I have an Alexa. In the studio, I have a Google Home. And in the office i have a google home you don't have a, a, a siri apple home not yet why I, not i have no need for one and they don't work as well as the other ones all right i think we're done i have to get the dog home because she hasn't eaten today and she's starting to get well i, I think she's passed out <laughs> uh we do thank you for coming we really appreciate the support thank you for everybody that dropped a little bit of money in the kitty listen this is a serious thing because we want to be able to cover this massive 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 event in las vegas seriously and properly and uh we learned last year that it's a, a tremendously expensive thing and uh we hope to turn whatever we do in las vegas into a series of really informative important podcasts for everybody to enjoy thank you very much for coming out Thanks.
episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. 